Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word in our text today, Luke chapter 2 and verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's read that together. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Our Christmas series this year has focused on this passage and the three statements that the angels presented on that night of Jesus' birth so long ago. They said that unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Our first Sunday, uh, first message last Sunday, uh, we considered the fact that Jesus is the Savior. And we noticed again that the angels did not say that he would become the Savior. But unto you this day is born a Savior. He was already the Savior. And the same way they did not say that he would become the Christ. He was born. And he was already the Christ when he was born. And he was already the Lord when he was born. It wasn't something he was going to become. Mystery of mysteries. It was something that he always already was. Paul would say, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh. There is something incredibly mysterious about it. I've been preaching about this for as many years as I've been preaching, considering it for as long as I've been considering anything. And I'm still amazed that the God of the universe could be compacted to the span of a virgin's womb. The God who spoke and the worlds became could be born as a helpless infant in a manger of all places in Bethlehem. And may I pause just for a moment and say, isn't it great to hear babies crying just at that moment? Yeah. Isn't that great? You think God just arranged that. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, the Bible says, thou hast perfected praise. Every baby crying cries out, praise the Lord. We love it. We love it. John would write this, though he did not speak specifically about uh, the birth in Bethlehem. John did tell us a lot about Jesus' birth. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Such a simple statement. But such profound truth. He also identified for us with absolute certainty what the word was. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, All of this truth about God has always been there. I notice, uh, again, as, as I have many, many times in this passage, that John tells us that in him was life. And this life was the light of men. That God has given life. 
And that life is designed to give us light, a light of illumination, a light of knowledge and understanding. And yet mankind in his sinfulness did not comprehend it. And it's amazing when you think about it that we could look in the mirror and see this incredible complexity that is human life. That the psalmist said we're fearfully and wonderfully made and we are. And to come up with such an amazing idea that this all just happened by accident. That it all just happened. Uh, Folks, I want to tell you again this morning. I know I say it a lot. uh, But I may be preaching to somebody at home that has never heard me say it before. Somebody here that's never said it, heard me say it before. But I want you to understand there is no credible explanation for the existence of life. How life began. Evolutionary theory wants us to believe that it all just happened, that inanimate objects somehow animated themselves so that they became life. But you know, life exists with uh, three essential things that have to happen. It has to have DNA, it has to have RNA, it has to have protein. Those three things. doesn't matter how simple it is. It's got to have it. Yes, I understand there are RNA viruses. Yeah, we have a hard time killing those things. Uh, but even those are incredibly complex. That's why they're so hard to get rid of. DNA code is something that we just were able to crack In the last little bit, last few years, got a simple thing for you today. Such a complex code requires a code writer. Somebody had to make the code. Complex codes like that don't occur by accident. They don't. You see, science likes to get down the line, way down the line, and talk about the evolutionary things, way down the line. They want to uh, get into anthropology and talk about all of their theories because they think they got stronger legs to stand on. They don't like to talk about how life actually began. They have no credible explanation. And even the evolutionary theory that they postulate just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. The Bible says it very plainly. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And this life is the light of men. And this light shines in the darkness and men did not comprehend it. Those are all statements of biblical truth. The light has been shining ever since God spoke the first molecule into creation. It has always shined. But then there's that incredible truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. This leaves us with a simple concept. Lord, life, and light. Lord, the Word, the Word that was with God, the Word that was God, the Word that became flesh, Christ the Lord, the Lord, Lord, life light 
take Lord out of the equation, then life becomes its own light. Life becomes its own light. So that life is basically turned loose to make itself into whatever it wants, to do whatever it wants, to decide whatever it wants. And the record of history and the record we see playing out in our own world today is that life usually focuses on our most basic instincts. The most basic of which is the desire for sex. This isn't by accident. If you want to read it, Romans chapter 1 tells us what happens when men do not like to retain God in their knowledge. The light shines in the darkness. Lord, life and light. Lord, life and light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't comprehend it. It's not that it can't comprehend it. It's that it refuses to comprehend it. Lord, life, and light. It isn't surprising that the angels... Then we're careful to point out that Jesus Christ is Lord. Unto you this day is born the Savior who is Christ, the Lord. Of course the angels said that. <laughs> it was a big deal then. It's still a big deal today. Jesus Christ is Lord. There are two things that I want to share with you about that today. Two general concepts that will frame our thoughts today about the lordship of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ is Lord then has a saving aspect. That's number one. And it also has a sanctifying aspect. And yes, I'll explain that word to you in a moment. First, a saving aspect. To understand this, I want us to look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. But what does it say? And here Paul the Apostle is writing and he's quoting out of Leviticus 18. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now you notice. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, this is a part, theologically speaking, of Paul's discussion of a very complicated question. And that is, how could the Jews, God's chosen people, seed of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, a people who worship God on a daily basis, who live by the law of Moses. How could you look at God's chosen people and say they are lost? And yet he did because he began this whole discussion by saying, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. They were lost. They were religious. Yes. They had the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. Yes. They knew God, yes, intellectually speaking. But they were lost and needed to be saved. If it was just me saying that or some other preacher saying that, we might very well take exception to it. But this is the Apostle Paul and it's written down for us by inspiration, Romans chapter 10. And to these religious people, of people who knew God, knew about God, certainly 
They would have celebrated all of the holidays that God gave them. They were regular in their temple observance. They gave their offerings as God had required of them. They lived by the law. They had a zeal for God, a passion for God, but they did not know God, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What did Paul then tell them that they had to do? You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There's no small thing for a person of Jewish descent to say Jesus is Lord. It's no small thing today. But let's understand this morning that it is no small thing of any person of any descent to say, Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You see, believing that God raised Jesus from the dead is the centerpiece of the gospel. Paul would define it in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel that I preach, he says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He said, this is the gospel that you believed, and this is the gospel by which you're saved. If you're saved this morning, you're saved because you believe the gospel. Where does it begin? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that he that comes to God must believe that he is. Jesus is Lord. The first thing that has to happen then for anyone to be saved is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why we call this the confessional basis of Christianity. If you do not approach Jesus in this way, then there is no salvation available to you. You cannot be saved while denying that Jesus is Lord. You see, this comes to that essential fact of his deity. The great truth of the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Add in then quickly 2 Corinthians 5.18 And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us a ministry of reconciliation to wit, that is specifically, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now you say, well, Brother Rich, which one is it? Uh, you know, uh, John tells us that uh, the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh. And yet Paul tells us in verse 19 that uh, God was in Christ. So uh, was the word, was God Christ or was God in Christ? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes. Um, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see, God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet these three are 
one, one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equally God, not three gods, one. Three distinct persons, but only one personality. You say, explain that one to me. I can't. But I believe it with all of my heart. Because the Bible presents it to us. So to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is to confess his deity. Paul had a personal experience with this. So in a way, Romans chapter 10 is like his own testimony. Acts chapter 9 You remember how that he was struck down on the road to Damascus. He was going there to kill Christians. And yet, he was struck down by a light that struck him blind. And he cried out. He heard that voice from heaven. And he cried out then, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? His first confession. Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, did you, do you notice that? Then the Lord said, how about you folks up in the balcony? Can y'all see it too? Then the Lord said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, well, who is this Lord? I'm glad you asked. I am Jesus. You do see that up there, don't you? I am Jesus. I am Jesus. It is who you are persecuting is hard for you to kick against the goad. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord. It was a very appropriate thing for him to say at that moment. Amen. Lord. What do you want me to do? Great question. Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into that city and you will be told what you must do. At that moment, you see, Paul confessed that Jesus is Lord. And at that moment, he believed that Jesus was alive. Obviously alive. Obviously. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day for my salvation. There's somebody maybe in this auditorium this morning. Maybe someone watching from home. Maybe a lot of somebodies. There's never been that time in your life when you made that confession that Paul describes. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, I know you are the Lord. And Lord, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. That you were buried and then rose again after three days. And you did that all so that I could be saved. My sins demanded my death. But Lord, you died for me. And I believe that. I trust that. I I take that. Ask him. Call upon him. As Lord. Crucified, buried, risen, Lord. Ask him to be your savior. He will. Salvation is not a process. 
Salvation is an event every bit as much for you and me as it was for Saul of Tarsus so long ago. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find two other occasions where this same account is given. And both of those times, it was Paul's testimony of his own salvation. Paul was born a Jew. Paul was circumcised the eighth day of his life in accordance with the law of Moses. He learned the strictest observance of the law. He was careful to do everything that he knew the Bible told him to do. And yet Paul was lost and headed for hell. Until he met Jesus. When he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he was saved. That's what happened to him. And the same is true of me. Though my encounter with Jesus was not so dramatic. And the same is true of you. You've had an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. When you acknowledged him as Lord and asked him to save you. On the basis of what he did on Calvary. So that you lived out what the Bible says. He came unto his own, John said, in that same classic passage I've already quoted from before in John chapter 1. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That can be your claim today. Oh, what a gift God gave us. Oh, what a gift we celebrate. What a tragedy it would be to be in church celebrating Christmas on Sunday morning and yet be lost. It doesn't have to be. Acts chapter 16, I didn't make it up. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, there's a saving aspect to that. In Jesus Christ is Lord also has a sanctifying aspect. In him was life, John told us, and this life was the light of men. You see, the idea of sanctification is one of those biblical ideas you may not be familiar with and a Bible word that might not mean much to you. It simply means to be set apart for God, to be devoted to him and to live for him. Remember, it is Lord, life, and light. And that light then calls us to salvation, but that light then also tells us how to live. God guides us then through the Holy Spirit as he works through his word. He gives us a new direction because we have bowed the knee to heaven's king. We do not consider ourselves to have the right to make up our own plan for life and living because God has given us one. Everything in life, no, is not addressed by a Bible verse. But there's a few verses that cover a lot of territory, like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that simply says, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big one, isn't it? covers a lot of ground. Can you do this for the glory of God? Add in this, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You see, because we have a Lord that we answer to, Christians will ever, forever find themselves at odds with a culture who doesn't answer to the Lord we answer to. 
And we see it increasingly in our culture where Christians are defamed as evildoers, as if something is, is really bad wrong with us. And it's really not. It's not that we hate people. We don't. We love people. But it is that we cannot call things that are wrong right. We can't call what is right and wrong. We have a Lord that we answer to. He's not ourselves. This is spelled out for us in one more passage I want to give you today and we'll be done. So let's bring up that last passage, Miss Amy. Romans chapter 14. It tells us that none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. You see, this is the Christian testimony. For if we live, we live to the Lord. We live to the Lord. While we live, then, we live to the Lord. And when we die, guess what? Death isn't the end for the believer in Christ. When we die, what do we die to? We die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, that pretty well covers it. Amen? Whether I live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. What a passage. Jesus Christ is Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Oh, I hope he's your Savior. He wants to be. He will be. If you'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You may have come into the service lost and you didn't know you were lost, but you know you're lost now. I plead with you. Don't go out of the service in that way. You see, all wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger so long ago is this great gift that God gave to humanity. But if you want it, you have to receive it. You have to take it. You can look at it and turn your back and say, yeah, that's a pretty great thing, man. Virgin gave birth, yeah. Angels sang. Wise men came. Yeah. Sweet deal. Let's go eat. That can be your response. I pray it's not. Unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds left their sheep and ran to find him. But this word is nigh you. It's even in your heart that if you believe on Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Let's stand together, please.